Welcome to the Shut Up Show. This is the Brave Solopreneurs Podcast helping you shut up and make shit happen. Inside every episode, you'll hear raw and uncensored conversations with amazing entrepreneurs and thought leaders who bring their best work every day despite being scared shitless. You'll gain mindset strategies on how to brave through your fears, tactical advice to help you define your shut up moment, and impact-driven tips inspiring you to live and work on your own terms. And now, your hosts and co-shut-uppers of making shit happen, Bernie Shung and Phil Gerbyshack. And we're live! Hey, it's Shut Up Show number one kabillion, or rather, whatever number we're on. And today, we have my friend Pam Slim on, who is awesome and who has a new book. And I just want to share a little bit about how Pam and I met. Back in 2006, when I had a blog on TypePad, Pam actually tried to enter one of my contests to win one of my books, which was really cool. And she couldn't do it because, like an idiot, I spelt my email address wrong. So she figured out the right way and forwarded it to me, and she won the book. And then shortly after that, Escape from Cubicle Nation was born. I got to talk to her about that. And now, holy crap, another book. Pam, dear, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Phil. I love that we go way back, and like internet years are like dog years, right? So we've actually known each other for like 49 years, I yes. think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we finally met live last year at yes. World Domination Summit, which yes, was fun. Did. I was standing there. I forget who you're talking to. I'm like, hey! You're like, ah! That was awesome. I know. It was Todd Henry. Todd yes. Henry also talked to author of Die Empty, and so it was like all of my favorite people in the Portland Zoo coming at me at once. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was awesome. So we're going to talk today about fear and your new book and all sorts of other crazy crap. And for a change, Bernie lets me do the long intro, but Bernie, I'm going to give you the short intro and maybe ask the first question. So Bernie, dear, over to you. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Pam, we've done about 100 episodes, only about 69 that we've published so far. And almost every single one, Phil lets me do a very long intro because I guess he calls me the chief stalking officer of all the guests that we bring on. Um, I don't think we have to tell our guests really who you are because, I mean, to be quite honest with you, we all share a lot of mutual friends, and I'm sure most of them know who you are. But I just wanted to thank you again for being here. I've heard about you through Phil and even Prior to learning um, about about you through Phil, I've heard about you through a lot of friends who are my fellow misfits, our fellow misfits of, of Misfit Inc. You know, AJ Leon, Srini of Blockcast FM, just a ton of amazing people who I wholeheartedly love and respect, and they can't speak volumes of how much they loved the work that you did at Misfit Conference. So I'm sad that I missed the conference because I was supposed to go, but I ended up not making it. But look at that, we end up having you on the show anyway. So thank you for being here, my dear. Thank you for having me. So so one of our first questions we ask, just in case anybody has missed who Pam Slim is and what she's done, can you kind of take us through a really short version of what was some of the work that you were doing prior to the work that you did today that you re really felt was kind of that key thing that happened that brought you to do the amazing stuff you do today, Pam? Yeah, I think uh, the last eight years I've been doing uh, Escape from Cubicle Nation, so a lot of early stage entrepreneur coaching. And prior to that, did 
consulting inside companies to help people work more effectively. So that work inside companies led to realizing that people really wanted to leave companies, which is what I have done at Escape from Cubicle Nation, working with a lot of different people to start all kinds of different businesses. And what spurred the interest in this recent work, my newest book, Body of Work, has really been in realizing that we like to get very light and dark side of the force. Corporate, bad, Darth Vader, you know, entrepreneurship, freedom, liberty, misfit, right? Uh, you know, good, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it's a very simplistic view. I love entrepreneurship. I've been doing it for 17 years. But for some people, it's not the, white, the right work mode. And we get so focused on the work mode that we forget the most important juicy part, which is what are you actually creating? Who the hell cares exactly what work mode you have? Choose a mode that supports you, that reduces your stress, and that gives you the most opportunities to create what it is that you want to create. So that's really what spurred thinking about this next book. Awesome. Yeah, that that's interesting because though we say that we're advice for small business owners and entrepreneurs, our first guest was actually someone who jumped from being an entrepreneur back into corporate, Scott Ginsburg, who really that fit him better. So I, I think that's fitting that now we have you and you're talking about that it's okay that you don't start your own business, that it's okay that you have a day job, if you will, and that it's your only job, and it's about finding stuff that you love. Um, but tell us a little bit more about that. When Body of Work, um, obviously not out yet, will be out at the end of, the, of 2013, probably early copies are out there, but take us through that, about how you go about finding your story, obviously, without telling us, you know, everything in your book. Yeah. Well, I think it's fun if we can we can think a little bit along the lines of the topic of fear. Fear is actually a chapter, Surf the Fear, which uh, Srinivas would appreciate, right, from Blogcast FM, who's a big surfer. <laughs> but, you know, the uh, one, you know, one of the basic things I think we can think of, and this is really relevant for small business owners and, and also for folks in any work mode, is that my, my premise is, is that the purpose of our life is to create a body of work that we're really proud of, right? Creating and building things, whether they be products or services or movements or software code or whatever it is that we want to create in the world is, uh, is real, a really important focus of what it is that we need to be thinking about. And it's not just the things that we create, but it's also the environment that we create. What kind of feeling do you have when you walk into your home? For those of you that might be parents, what kind of um, environment do you want to have as a parent? How are you as a community member? Are you the kind of person who waves at your neighbors in the morning, or do you just kind of consider you know, that you're an independent person? And, and so I think the, the totality of how it is that we spend our time and, and what we create is ultimately what's going to make us feel really happy and relieved and proud at the end of our lives, hopefully many decades from now for all of us. And so if that's the premise, first of all, just to be alive in today's world and economy and market, there is so much more risk, I think, out there that fear is an inherent part of our career journey for anybody, right? You can't count on any one job to stay. You can't count on your business to stay the same. Anybody who lived through the economic meltdown in 2007, 2008, you know, like we did, man, my husband had a construction business 
And it, wow, it was like bringing, it just brought everybody collectively, it felt like here in Phoenix, to to our knees. There was so much anxiety and angst. Um, at the same time, once we were able, you know, after actually a, a long process, and by we, I mean me personally and my family, and then also friends, clients, extended family members, you know, were able to get out of that situation. Um, it, I realized it was also a way that we really spurred creativity about how we thought about what work is. And so as a starting premise, when we're talking about fear, you can't create, you can't innovate, you can't create meaning in your life without having fear. My, my husband would say, you know, the dark times are the times where you become the most familiar and intimate with the light, or at least your desire for the light, right? For those good times there, you can't separate them. It's really part of it. So navigating uncertainty, and to me what's really important in my own body of work is in creating opportunity is a really critical thing. So one of the first things I think for us to be thinking about, you know, definitely as business owners in, in, in the process is really first, you know, what do we want to be doing? What do we want to be creating? And just the same way sometimes we get fixated on work mode, we also get fixated on outcome of work, a.k.a money that we make, right? Or number of Facebook fans or followers. So we can say my business goal in 2014 is to crack six figures. You know, I love that. I'm a business coach, love being pragmatic, love to have specific goals like that, right? That's an important thing. But that's a metric that measures the result of creating something that actually has meaning to you and to the world. And so that's, I think, an interesting point of reference that we can start to look at based on doing planning for the next year is what do you actually want to create? Have you always wanted to write a book? Are you excited about quitting your job to start a business? Are you ready to do something really unique and innovative within your company? Focus first on what it is that you want to create. And then some of the other important steps are doing an assessment of all what I call your ingredients, your skills, your strengths, your uh, experience, but also your scars, you know, those dark times of the soul that many of us pass in many different ways, right? Childhood, personal experience, economic devastation, you name it, right? Health issues. All of those experiences are things that actually give us tremendous depth and make us interesting and also lend a lose to make whatever it is that we're creating uniquely important. So those are kind of maybe to, to seed our conversation, those are some of the first places that I really like to think um, about what it is that we focus on as small business owners. It's like, what are you actually creating? Are you going to have fun creating it? And is it really meaningful? Is it going to make a difference in the world? That That's fantastic, Pam. My, my head is spinning because I have like a million follow-up <laughs> questions. But, but one comment I want to make, and maybe it does become a question, is we had Greg Hartle of $10, $10 on the Laptop slash BlogSFM on our show, and he, he's a dear friend of ours, and he said on their show, um, I wrote it down, constraints make you creative. Yes. Right? What's your take on that? And with that kind of philosophy, how have you found that to help you in the business you do specifically as a creative entrepreneur? Oh, I love Greg and his story was, it had me, you know, sobbing and it was amazing. So Greg's story is incredible. I love the idea of constraints. I think that it's funny in the, in the meme of entrepreneurship, which is freedom and unlimited possibility is probably the quickest way to shut down a new stage entrepreneur than anything else, because there is so much possibility that 
you end up being totally overwhelmed with what to do. So uh, some helpful constraints that I think of in early stage entrepreneurship, unless you are, you just sold your last company or you're independently wealthy or you have a sugar daddy or a sugar mama or you know some other way of funding your, your initiative, for most people, one of the constraints is money, right? Money and time. So for people who are side hustlers, who are working a side hustle in addition to a day job, having the constraint of a, a finite period of hours per week to work on your endeavor is actually fantastic because if you want to make progress, you have to really focus on what it is that you're doing because you can't be working day and night. The other thing is also with money is you have to think creatively about how it is that you're going to invest your resources because if you have a finite amount of money, it's really important in the initial stages to be creating prototyping something as quickly as possible and then bringing in money. And a lot of people, you know, <clears throat> it's a struggle. Sometimes you feel like money would solve anything, but let's look at some of the Silicon Valley startups throughout the decades, really, that have gotten a kabillion dollars worth of investment and actually money doesn't solve anything. It actually sometimes exacerbates the fact that there's no dang business model whatsoever. So what's cool about having a bootstrapping approach is that you need to immediately make sure that there is value and viability in your business model. And that's like, that's a good thing. From that, as Guy Kawasaki would say, that's where after you have a viable case, you get people excited, you begin to sell, you begin to build a community and get some traction, that's when it's actually a good opportunity to be attracting outside investors or you know other, other kinds of things. That makes a lot of sense. So, so those constraints, why do you think, Pam, that so many are so shackled by those constraints instead of embracing them for the creative flow that they are, the creative energy that they could be? Um, because it is overwhelming to know if you're making the right choice. You know, I, I've had people who are stumped for a long time knowing whether or not they should invest a couple thousand dollars in having somebody design a website, right? Which sometimes is a fantastic idea, sometimes is a terrible idea. You and I started in the ugly TypePad days. I mean, nothing against TypePad. I'm, I thought it was beautiful. Like, I was an artist, man. I had the most beautiful site in the world. So I thought, um, you know, at the time that I created myself. But for a lot of people today, making decisions with limited resources can be very scary. And that's why I think it's so critical to not do anything in a vacuum, to immediately surround yourself with people who are like-minded, who have done it before, who can help uh, give you insight and ideas. I, I don't do anything now, any new endeavor, without immediately first thinking, okay, who do I know that's way smarter than I am in this field, who, can, who I can talk to to help make those decisions. But I think that's the part that gets a lot of people stuck. The other thing I'll say from a coaching uh, background and framework is, if you've ever seen the Colby Index, it's K-O-L-B-E dot com. Really interesting um, assessment that measures your conative style. So it's really your MO, your modus operandi, how you take action. There are some people that are wired to be fact finders. So in order to make a decision, they need to carefully research it and detail. Kind of person, if they're going to buy a camera, they read every consumer report, right? And then there's the quick starts yo, like me, who like, I'll walk into Best Buy and be like, dude, like, what's the best camera? And I'll go by instinct and feel and, you know, just like grab the first thing and hope that it works. And if it doesn't, hope that I can kind of sweet talk the person into returning it, you know, getting another one. So this is something we don't talk about very much, which is why it's dangerous when you think of blanket 
entrepreneurial advice. All the just do it, you know, Nike stuff or often great advice from Gary Vaynerchuk who I adore to crush it. Like that totally makes sense for a certain kind of person. For somebody else, it's actually going against their natural strengths and instincts. So that's when you have to know yourself. All of us get caught in our pattern, right? All of us quick starts have a business off rolling and sold before we know what we're doing and realize we have to build infrastructure, right? Sometimes the fact finders get so caught in the cycle of gathering research and information that they're never able to ship. So that's why my premise is we all need each other. You need people from these different styles in order to take action. I'm, I'm so glad you brought the conversation there because that was one of the other follow-up questions I had. I've been seeing this happen in the time that I've been blogging for the past three or so years, and I know you and Phil have been blogging much longer than that, but I've been seeing this whole you know, train of thought between you know, the mediocres versus the remarkables, if you want to call it that, right? And, and I'm kind of getting sick and tired of the us versus them thing because I, I don't really truly believe that it has to be that black and white. What's your take on that and kind of what is the advice that you give for those who are entering that space and trying to figure out am I over here or am I over there or somewhere kind of in the middle? Yeah, I just as a philosophical, historical, spiritual, personal <laughs> point of view because it crosses all of that, uh, we are all equal. The way we are made, the way that we come to the earth, the way we leave the earth is we are all equal and nobody is higher and lower than another. And I think many, many problems can come uh, when we begin to segment in terms of, you know, good, bad, light side, dark side of the forest, remarkable, unremarkable, you know, average. It's it's just not it's not helpful. That That's my own stance. And, and it's my own stance as somebody who believes that Part of my purpose on earth is to help uh, anybody from anywhere in any situation feel good and a little bit better about what they're doing and to take action, right? So a lot of it can just become uh, divisive when done to the extreme. When used as um, a great motivating standard of excellence and mastery and excitement, you know, it's fantastic to be able to look at a Chris Gillibo and to see what it is that he's able to create. I've, I've known Chris for so many years and I just sit back and I'm amazed sometimes with what you know he's created. Ramit Sethi, who's also been a dear friend way back from his I will teach you, teach you to be rich days when he was just blogging and everything. You know, I'm so amazed and excited to see what it is that they've created um, as, as well as a whole bunch of other people. So it's motivating to see people who have done amazing things and made really good choices. But what you really need to always be focused on is what is your own definition of success and what's your own way that you can be fully you. Gretchen Rubin from The Happiness Project talks about you know being Gretchen is one of her mantras about how can she make sure that whatever she does that she's really being herself. Uh, a term I use in the book is success dysmorphia uh, in the chapter about success because I think we have a lot of success dysmorphia where it's like, okay, I'm cool, but I am like, I'm not cool like Phil. And he is so cool that, you know, I really want to be just like him and I want, I need glasses and I want yellow glasses and if I have it, I'm, I'm not okay. And, and it can actually be in situations where like you're actually really doing very interesting, unique, cool stuff. I, I was talking with my friend Eric Prue. Some of you might know from the movies Lemonade and Lemonade Detroit. He's a, a documentary filmmaker and uh, made this amazing documentary about um, ad 
ad agency employees who got laid off and remade their lives, hence the lemonade, right? Make lemonade out of lemons. And we were both talking, we've both been doing a whole bunch of stuff, but we're like, oh man, you know, I'm not Dan Pink, and oh man, like, look, I'm not this person. And then after a while, it's like, that is just stupid. And it's just a way to make yourself miserable and always feel like you're never good enough and you're always striving. So it's the balance I see is yes, it is very motivating to see what other people are doing and to have the courage like many revolutionaries that we, we see in any movement you're always, you know, with the passing of Nelson Mandela, right, who just, you know, who, who just left the earth this week. You know, we've, we've had these amazing people who are willing to literally risk their life and spend, you know, really intense times for important things that we all need as a, as a society to move towards, right? And often those are the people that are leading on the outskirts of any kind of a revolution, be it commercial or social or whatever it is. But then there's also what we need is everybody else that's coming in and playing their role, right? Everybody has a unique role to play. So we can be motivated by what people do, but you could say, you know, I may not lead an entire nation in an entire world, you know, in a revolution, but in my little neighborhood in Mesa, Arizona, you know, at the Safeway, man, I can make sure that I have a great relationship with people there. You know, when I'm hanging out in the Starbucks, uh, I'm going to know that I'm going to create a great connection and quality of life there. Or with my website and my thousand people who are in my community, we're going to create something that's really special here. Yeah, and that and that's so true about the edges, right? The edges are sexy, but the edges are scary as hell, and you can be successful in the middle. You don't have to practice edgecraft. You don't have to be Seth Godin in order to be yeah. a great marketer. Right, yeah. and I think that's the biggest lesson that we all can take, and that I think that is, I, I'm guessing from what I have read about your book, Pam, I'm guessing that's a lot of the central thesis of what you're talking about is not life on the edges, but really life in the middle, and how you can take your story and weave that through everything you do. Well, yeah, it's it's all relative because it's whatever we choose our destiny to be because. Maybe you are an edge walker, and maybe what your destiny is is to leave the safety and comfort of you know a comfortable life and really push yourself to be doing things to be leading revolutions and movements. Or maybe you've been trying to do that and really miserable, and then you realize that part of what is totally okay is to scale back, and you've created a you know six, half a six-figure business or a six-figure. You don't need to go to the million. You've done a million. You don't need to do ten. I mean, it it totally depends on the individual. That's really the point to me is you want to design your own journey and your own craft and your own body of work based on actually what gives you meaning and, and pleasure and contributes what you want to contribute. I, my own definition of success is enjoying my life while I am living it. It's a very simple but quite profound kind of metric when you think about it, right? Because to enjoy it means I have to be learning, I, I want to be pushing myself, I love to be growing, but as soon as I start to feel myself growing for the sake of growth or doing something because I think I should, then it ceases to be something that I'm, you know, I'm really owning. So I think that's, these are all things that we need to think about for ourselves. So it, it's just, how are you designing something that's really made for you that will allow you, this is so important, allow you to build the kinds of things that you want to build as a legacy. Even if you don't do any, you can be a fantastic stay-at-home mom. 
I, this is one sector I really want to dig into in the next decade or so to have conversations about this because I am the worst stay-at-home mom ever. Like I loved it for a little bit when I was with my son, but you know I am not crafty. You know I'm constantly thinking about blog posts and so forth. You know what I mean? Like there are some moms that are awesome that like do these crazy great interesting everything everything from like meals to how they structure discipline to you know really crafting a body of work even inside the four walls of a home and and really thinking about how it is that you're going to raise your family you know so that's that that's my point is make it custom for you not some kind of standard that somebody else sets I, I love you, Pam. I echo that, too. Because people are like, oh, you're a mom. You should know. I go, no, not really. I'm not, I'm not that mom. <laughs> you know? So, you know, you know, anyway, um, I do have one more question for you before we have Phil wrap up with the, with the magic question. Um, was there a defining moment in your life, Pam, that really made you kind of go, I'm, I'm just so sick of this. I'm tired of this. I'm done with this. Or there's, there's more that I want to do or say that, that, propelled you to to take that leap um, and dive into the work that you're doing today. And, and maybe it was a long and gradual process. I don't know. If you could kind of take us through that story, I'd love to hear when you took your leap. Yeah, you know, mine wasn't so much uh, a leap into self-employment. I mean, I, I did it when uh, um, I was... I've always loved work. I've worked since I was 12. I started out scooping ice cream, actually washing dishes at Swenson's Ice Cream in San Anselmo. And so I have never... I am, I'm like, const Jim Collins talks about being constitutionally unemployable, and I think I'm constitutionally unable to do something I don't enjoy, which is great now that I'm an adult and I have the kind of work that allows me to do it. It's not so great as a student sometimes, right, or there are times where I just need to kind of put my head down and do stuff, but I, I have always enjoyed what I have done work-wise in different work modes because as soon as I start to get bored, is when I realize that it's it's just time to make a shift, and, and that's when I go into something else. I think it's, I've had many significant moments in my life. One of them was actually that that did spur the beginning of deciding to quit my job and start a business was actually on a personal relationship side. It was in a really uh, not a healthy relationship at all. That was in my twenties. It was very uh, you know very scary, uh, very confining. And I have this one favorite place in the world, which is called Phoenix Lake in uh, Ross, California, where I, where I grew up, near where I grew up in San Anselmo. And when I finally decided that I was going to leave the relationship, I got this weird feeling in my head, if you've ever seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, that movie where um, characters always seeing this mountain and he's like building it in mashed potatoes and everything. That's how I got this vision of going to this lake. And so I went to the lake right after actually the therapist visit and I started walking around the lake and it was just, I can't describe it of anything else besides like a spiritual epiphany because I just could kind of feel this energy and this pace and almost like a music in my head as I was walking around the lake. And I came to this one spot that I saw in my head uh, that I used to go to as a little girl. I used to go up there when I was really little. And as soon as I saw that spot, I just totally burst into tears. And just, you know, I felt like this whole wall was literally crumbling inside me. And then I felt this motivation, almost like hands that were like pushing me forward. And it was just, a, it's just one of those indescribable kind of times. But after being in this relationship that was so unhealthy for so long, it was just clearly the moment where I said, uh, that's it. I'm doing it. I'm making a break. And certainly for anybody who's ever been in a healthy relationship, um, 
there is fear that's involved. You know, there is a perception of danger. There's all those other things. And so walking through that experience gave me incredible courage and, and just gave me a, that feeling about being in control of my destiny and, and wanting to do more with my life. And so it's, it's one of many. If we had three hours, you know, I'm, I'm old. I'm 47, so I got a lot of stories. But that was one that I, I specifically remember, and it was after that experience that I ended up quitting my job, you know, to start a business. But I was not the pr prototypical person who was miserable in their cube. I love my cube. Wow. You gave, you literally <laughs> gave me goosebumps like four times in that story. I kid you not. And you're right. We have to have you back because I, I, can, I can share similar story, stories to yours. Not, not quite that mystical, but believe me, very similar to that. Um, Phil, speaking of mystical, we've got to yeah. ask her the, the, the magic question of the show. Yeah. So what kind of ice cream do you like? That's the question. Oh, my God. I, uh, how mystical is it that that was my first job at Swenson? So it's I, well, easy. that's what it's, I mean, right? It's mocha chip on a sugar cone rolled in almonds. Like, cool. seriously, why would anybody eat anything else? That's it. That's it. Well, that isn't really the magic <laughs> question, but I was curious because you said you worked in an ice cream stand uh, washing dishes. That was my first job, not an ice cream stand, but was at a, a supper club up in northern Wisconsin. So seriously, though, the magic question is this, Pam, right now where you are in Mesa, Arizona. What is scaring you? What are you afraid of? And how can we, Bernie and Phil, and we, the Shut Up Show community, hmm. how can we help you? Man, that is such a great question. You know, it is uh, where I do feel scared is in releasing this brand new piece of work into the world. It's uh, I sh just shared on Facebook the other day. I know we're friends on Facebook. I don't know if you saw it, but when my son was seven last year, he introduced me at one of my live events that has like 75 people in the audience. And I kept asking him, son, are you okay? Are you, are you okay? Are you sure you can do it? You know, and because I didn't want to push him, be that kind of stage mom. And the day before, he looks at me right in the eyes and he said, mom, I'm, I'm a little bit more excited than I am scared. And that was like, oh, my God, that was so profound. So that became like our whole theme for the conference. But that's what it feels like when you are releasing something. For me, a book is a deeply personal experience. This one in particular has a lot of stories of my dad and just, you know, my own life. And so it is scary in the best way, in the excited yet terrified way. So I'd love to get it out in the world for sure, but it also helps to know that you understand that it can also be scary to be sharing your thoughts with the internet, which we know <laughs> is a place where people love you and they don't love you. So that's, that, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Cool. Well, that's good. Well, we're glad that you were you were more excited than afraid to be on the show, Pam, because you're just Always. awesome. We are so glad you're here. So last question is a softball, though, and that yeah. is how do they get more of your awesome? If we're going to share you, right, we want Funny, people to get more of your awesome. You mentioned that. Hmm. <laughs> well, uh, PamelaSlim.com uh, is, is my main site. Uh, Escape from Cubicle Nation is where you can find me, where I've had writing there for years. We're actually just kind of uh, adding more stuff to PamelaSlim.com. But EscapeFromCubicleNation.com has my Twitter handle and Facebook and email and all of that. This bright orange thing. Thing that I was waving like a good marketer is is my new book called Body of Work. So um, it comes out on December 31st, and you can get that you know at all bookstores and so forth. I'm not sure when the episode will air, 
But if is it before December 31st that you'll be putting out sure. the show or later? We yeah, can, okay. We can definitely do that to coincide with your launch. Absolutely. Yeah, so if it's before December 31st, if you go to PamelaSlim.com slash body of work, that's where we have put together some super cool freebies, uh, promotion for the book. So a workbook and even a chance, get this, to fly you from anywhere in the continuous uh, 48 states for a day of consulting and coaching with me. Have fun with that here in Phoenix. Woo! So we believe in uh, big parties, but that's that's where we can connect. So thanks for asking and uh, allowing me to share share my bright orange book cover for Body of Work. Yeah. <laughs> so darn excited for you, Pam. That is great. So thanks. Bernie, I'm going to give you final thoughts. Final thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> what else you got? Yeah. You can't put me on the spot like that. Oh, you mean like you do to me every week? Well. <laughs> It's because, well, well, Pam knows you well, too. You like to talk, and you're actually pretty smart. So. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks, no. All right, fine, I'll wrap up then. But, Pam, we're really glad you're here. I mean, I'm really excited for the book and really want to encourage folks to work inside their constraints and find their own definition of success and not be constrained by what anybody else says or thinks or wants you to do. Just yeah. be happy with who you are, where you are, and be you. That's it, man. Did you know The Shut Up Show has a store? Go to theshutupshow.com slash store and check out the awesome digital products we created just for you. Also, if you're a content creator, you've got to check out our sponsor, Cells. That's S-E-L-Z dot com. Seriously, simple selling. Go check them out today.